Listen, today I've got a word that I believe I have a word that God has put in my heart. As you probably know, most of my focus or most of my responsibility now is mostly, mainly in the Spanish congregation, in that heavenly language. Praise God. I find myself sometimes having a difficult time speaking in English because I'm so heavenly worded that I have to remember my English. Se me olvida el inglés a veces, por eso tengo que hablar mucho español. Amen. You probably said, what did he say? Did he talk bad about me? No, I didn't talk bad about you. The truth of the matter is, is that we try to stay in alignment with what God is speaking to the house. And I believe that God is speaking to the house about the manifest presence, the need of the manifest presence in our life. The only thing is that sometimes God gives us, and as you know, speak preachers, we all look at it from a different perspective, but we have it from the same source, and that's God's word. So therefore, my perspective has been the manifest presence of God, but it has been from the point or the perspective of hearing the voice of God. I guess there's a correlation between that. There's a link between the manifest presence of God and his voice. And so I've been preaching on Sunday afternoons to the Spanish congregation the need to hear the voice of God. It is imperative. It is very important that we not only practice it, but we, we develop a, keen, a, a very sensitive ear to the voice of God because he is speaking. And the truth of the matter is, we need to hear him because we're living in changing times. There's no doubt in my mind we're living in changing times. God has impressed me so hard, so strongly, not hard, but so strongly, that we are living in changing times. And that we need to be very familiarized and be very rational to the reality of the changes that are occurring around us. Instead of sitting around and criticizing. We need to have spiritual ears and ears to hear And interpret what we hear and what we see, not by the news media, but what, what the Spirit is saying to us. Undoubtedly, we begin this year with much change. There's no doubt in my mind that all these changes, some of those changes have been imposed upon us. Some of this, we had no choice. They just happen. They just, they just is. <laughs> the next class I'm going to take is... Grammar, praise God. It just is. Some of them have, that I refer to as some changes are just domestic. They just happen in the course of life. They just happen. So therefore, change is inevitable. It is unavoidable. And it's going to happen and it's happening. Whether you like it or not, it is, like my wife says, it is what it is. The great philosopher. It is what it is. We started out the years with a change of new administration. Whether you like it or not, it's going to be around here for a while. You and I can complain. We can, we can oppose it. We can admire it. But it doesn't really matter. It is what it is. The change has happened. I believe that not only in the dimension, not only in the sphere or in the arena of the politics, it is, is there change. I believe that there is also change internationally. We have, as a country, not, we have dissolved agreements that we have had from many times. We have made our allies upset and we have gained new allies. Regardless of the fact, we have also taken on more adversaries than we already had. Change is already happening around us. Whether you recognize it or not, a major change just took place a week ago. The United States recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Now, you and I may clap about it, but let me tell you, we're going to have to deal with the consequences of that change. <laughs> change doesn't come easy. Change affects every aspect, every area of our lives. We might root for it, but we might not be rooting so much after it really gets heated up. But change has a purpose. Let me tell you, even women have taken on, gotten on the, not the bandwagon, but they have gotten in the current of change. Time magazine for the very first time, if I'm not mistaken, is not a person, it's a movement. Me too movement. Women said enough is enough. Oh, you women really loving me, aren't you? I'm going to be invited to the next women's conference. Amen. They say they pick up a good offering, so I'll be there. Praise God. 
Matter of fact, Time Magazine calls their their movement, their change, not only a change, they refer to it as a high-velocity shift. High-velocity shift. Matter of fact, the only time I've heard that expression has been in the corporate world. High-velocity shift in management. Organizations are having to change. Churches are having to change. Not just by word, but in action. I mean, really. So the truth of the matter is, women are changing things. My God, for the very first time in history, a woman, a film, a women's film, or a a movie referring to Wonder Woman, multi-million dollar movie, for the very first time in history. Now I have to confess, I saw it too, praise God. In regards to women's rights, in regards to their movement, in regards to the changes that they're bringing, they're standing against sexual harassment in the workplace. I mean, every morning we wake up, we just don't know what shoe is going to drop next. As long as it's not our shoe, that's all we care. They're a little bit. <laughs> oh, Lord, that was in the flesh. As Paul said, as I, I say, not the Lord, I say. Man, it's times like this that I have so much fun. Let me tell you, they are just changing things. Have no idea what's going to be on the news when we wake up. Matter of fact, I wake up saying, oh my God, what's going to be on next? Change. Not only is politics, not only is social, pop culture, not only all those changes are happening, but also the truth of the matter is environmental change is taking place. Earthquakes. I mean, we are experiencing environmental change that we're asking ourselves, what in the world is going on? We're trying to find out who to blame. We're trying to figure it all out. Mexico had an earthquake that devastated it. I mean, I saw how those buildings came down. I said, oh, my God. Not only that, but the fires in California, they can't stop them. Listen. At the rate they're going, we better pray there's a California. Because that's fires that just unstoppable changes. People have all are set in place. Their homes have been totally demolished. They have to start all over again. Changes are happening. Talking about changes, hurricanes in the Gulf. Listen, don't say hurricanes anymore around us, right? Don't say hurricane. Don't you dare say that several word, several that word around us. Houston has never been hit with such a devastation as it got hit this last time. I mean, it hung around for days. Matter of fact, some of us prayed that Noah's Ark would come by and save us. Change. Constant, constant change. The economy is changing. Yes, the economy is changing. Some of us are getting pink slips from companies that we worked for years and we say, what's happened? I thought I was going to be hung around. I was going to hang around. They're going to give me a pocket watch, a gold pocket watch. I'll settle for just a plain Timex watch. Why? Because new technological entrepreneurship has entered into the economy. The millennials are no longer looking for loyalty in companies. They're forming their own companies. They don't want to work under somebody. They want to do their own thing. That's why you have so many apps, so many young people, so many people getting rich overnight just through technology. Corporations, are don't, they don't have any idea what to do with the change of economy. These are changes that are taking place. All these things are taking place. The workforce is changing. The age of retirement is re, being redefined. Listen, at 65, you're not ending your career. You're starting a new one. I say that because I'm going to be 65 and I'm going to start a new one. Amen. The workforce has changed. Everything around us is changing. And we cannot go farther than just saying we need to include also changes in our debt. Some of us are so, we were in debt, we're farther in debt than we were last year. Not only debt, death has also brought changes into our lives. Divorce has brought changes into our lives. Diseases have brought changes into our life. Let me take you 
Even the sports world got changed. The Astros won the pennant. And they went to the World Series. My God, that took a while, didn't it? But we got there. Amen. (laughs) Only one Jesus said up there back in the back. He's a natural fan. (laughs) What do we need to be able to face the changes that we're facing? I told you at the beginning, I wanted to preach a Christmas story. I want to talk to you about baby Jesus. But But the Lord said, don't talk about baby Jesus. Talk about the man called Jesus. The man who we follow. The man who said, in this world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome. Just keep following me into the future. Keep following me into your best years. It's not over yet. And so therefore we need to take to heart the God's word to comfort our hearts and to be able to comfort our hearts and help us to face our new challenges that are upcoming. Because there are more upcoming. There's more that's coming down the pike. And I'm not here to say that things are going to get worse. I'm just simply here to tell you things are going to change. And I'm here just to simply tell you, we better just get used, not used to it. We better be able to adjust to it and make the changes necessary that we need. And let me tell you, we've got an edge. And the edge that we got that the world doesn't have is we got the Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Ghost. We got the Word of God. We got the promises of God. Listen, if there's somebody that's got, that needs to be ready for change, it's you and me, buddy. Turn to your neighbor and says, it's you and me, buddy. We got that. We got it. Because we have God's word. So today I don't take you to the nativity narratives. I take you to the passionate week. In Mark chapter 14. We go to Mark chapter 14 and we find here the narrative of the passion week. But there's something that is present in this particular chapter. That sometimes when you read it. If you don't read it with, with diligence. With, with an attention. With a, with a focus. Seeking that God to speak to you. You'll just read it and it'll just go into the category of information. But God is so gracious. Sometimes he will once in a while illuminate us. Turn the light up in the attic and allow us to see things that we have never seen before. At least that's what God did for me. And that's what I want to share with you today. I want to share with you Mark chapter 14. And things there that will help us to be able to confront the difficulties, the changing difficulties that are ahead of us. And I believe that in this particular chapter, in the Passion Week, we will find some things. It might not be the Christmas story, but it is the continuation of the Christmas story. Matter of fact, it is the fulfillment of the Christmas story. And the truth of the matter is, is that in this particular chapter, and we find some things that I wanted you to notice, because you might not have noticed it. And if you have, then you'll just have to listen to me. And that is this, that in Mark chapter 14, one thing is very prevalent, and that is Jesus foresees that all things that are to take place that week. The key word here is foresee. He knows what's coming. He knows what's coming in the, what's going to happen in the upper room. He knows he will be betrayed. He knows what's going to happen in Gethsemane. And he knows that he will be arrested. So if there's one thing that will give you the comfort is to know that Jesus knows everything you, that he needs to know about you, the present situation that you're in, and the things that are about to come to, into your life. He knows everything about you and me. Nothing will surprise, should surprise us. He knows even before we wake up in the morning. He knows those things. So this is one of the things that we have to highlight in Mark chapter 14. Second thing we need to highlight in chapter 14 is that he predicts the rocky times that are ahead for the disciples. He tells them ahead of time, you will be tested to the point, to the breaking point. Not only does he predict this, he is conscious that his betrayal will underscore his plan. He knows these things. Oh, my God. Hope I can finish before you and I run in the aisle saying, God's in control. Listen, he knows that all will fail, fall away. But this is the thing, what they don't know. It's what they don't know. What they don't know is that he will be there to pick them back up from their human failure of fear and doubt. And he will redirect their steps into a new beginning. That's what you don't know. 
You don't know that he will be there in 2018. He will be there to help you overcome your fears and doubt. He will be there to redirect your steps into your new beginning. You just need to know that. But the reason these disciples don't realize that and they don't know this is because there's something very present that is very dangerous when you're going through a changing process. And that is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness will hinder you, will complicate the changes of your life. That's what happened in the upper room. Jesus said, I will be betrayed. And there was one disciple that spoke before he thought, before he could even think. And he said, it ain't me. Because I'm going to stick to you like white on rice. Now, I don't know what that means, but everybody says white on rice. (laughs) I would have simply just said, I'm going to stick to you like glue. That's gorilla glue. Amen. But the truth of the matter is that this disciple called Peter, he was so centered, so self-centered, that he motivated the rest. And they all said, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We're right there with you. Had no idea what was coming. The danger of self-centeredness during times of change are present. You need, I want to help you identify them. You know why? Because I have identified them. I, I wrestled with them for a long time until I came to a place that I have learned self-centeredness will, will only complicate the changes that come into my life. The first one is this. There will always be that false confidence in your ability to remain realistic. Some of you have the resources, or at least you think you have the resources, to face whatever change comes your way. Listen, there's some changes that can come our way that all the resources we have will not protect. The reason is because we have a false confidence. The second thing is that there is a dependence on our own strength to face the reshaping of our lives. We think we can change. That's why we buy so many self-motivating books, self-improvement, behavioral modification. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's your whole dependence in success for the things that are coming down your way or the things that God has prepared for you, you will fall short. We need more than just behavioral modification. We need more than just positive thinking. (laughs) We need more than just theories and speculations. We need wisdom. We need the inherent presence of God in every part of our lives to be able to face all these changes. All these claims premature and are futile in the tough realities that are ahead. You will thank me for this message one day. Today you may sit here and listen and fall asleep or ignore what I am trying to say to you or speak to you. But I told you at the beginning, I appreciate the involvement of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is telling us clearly that many things are ahead, but we have Him with us every step of the way. Jesus had one bit of advice for his disciples. In their falsehood, in their 
unawareness of the realities that were about to happen, he tells them this. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. And the reason he we're able to identify this in Mark chapter 14 is because of the fact that Jesus asked them to stay awake and watch while he went at a distance to pray. He asked them to, to, to back up their, their loyalty, the loyalty they expressed in the upper room that said, we will not leave you. No matter how hard things get, we will be by your sight. But we witness that the only thing they could do in the garden while Jesus needed them to watch was fall asleep. Why did he want them to watch? He wanted them to watch because he already knew that Judas had gone to the leaders. And he was coming with the men to arrest him. He wanted them to see and participate. Here's a key word. He wanted them to participate with his suffering so that they would learn what it would require to face the changes, the challenges that were to come into their life that evening. But they were overcome with sleep. Jesus is saying to us, wake up and be a participant of the suffering, of the conflict, of the things that are about to take place in your life. So that you may know me, that you may know the power that raised me up from the dead. So that you will be able to continue to have the hope to move on with your life. No doubt, Peter professed his loyalty. But Jesus came and asked three times, Are you asleep? Are you asleep? Now this message was birthed from a word God gave me. I told you from the beginning. Now God has a way of giving me a word. That I sometimes I think he does it out of humor. He does it out of humor. He wakes me up when I'm sound. Asleep. In my baby sleep. That's right, come on. But all of a sudden, he'll wake me up, and I'll have to sit on the bed because I know that I got to let my blood circulate down to my feet because otherwise I'll fall. And I sit there, and I know that he is speaking because he brings a thought that I wasn't even dreaming. I was, it wasn't even in the radar. It just spontaneously shows up. And I have now realized that's God. So therefore, in those particular moments, two weeks ago, God gave me a word and said, Joe, in the upcoming year, you are to watch, pray, and resist temptation. Because more difficult changes will come. And your human inadequacy will not be enough to carry out your good intentions. Now I have learned one thing. That I do not have exclusive rights to only hear from God. I have come to the conclusion that this was not just a word for me. I believe God is saying this to many of us. I believe that some of you are hearing Maybe not in a very literal way that I heard it. Or maybe not in the way that I interpreted or received it. But God is speaking to you and saying there's change coming into your life. You need to watch, pray, and resist temptation. Because all your, all your human abilities will not be suffice or will not be sufficient to be able to endure that trial. 
Because your best years are, are ahead of you. Your best years are on the other side of that trial. Your best years are there waiting for you. You may be doubting him right now. And matter of fact, that was another word that God gave me one morning. He said, Joel, do not doubt your miracle based on your present circumstances. Don't you dare doubt your miracle that I have in store for you just because you don't see it being performed or manifested right now. You need to believe me that I've got the miracle waiting for you. You just got to keep on going. I'm here to tell you today, don't you dare doubt your miracle today. Don't you dare doubt Listen, if you're doubting, you need to come up here to the altar and I'm going to go get me a two by four and slap you upside your head and knock that doubt out of you. Just because it's not happening in your present circumstances doesn't mean it's over, my brother. It doesn't mean Jesus has forgotten about you. Hallelujah. You and I need to understand But why do we struggle with spiritual lethargy? Why are we so sleepy all the time? Some of you are asleep right now. Wake up. You better be thankful I take my glasses off and I don't see you. Because if I saw you sleeping, I'd come over there real quietly and I would say, wake up. Matter of fact, I'm going to get down right now and look around and see if any of you are sleepy. Why are we so spiritual lethargic when we should be wide awake? What are the causes? What are the, those things that happen? Why do we become sleepy, spiritual sleepy? Have you ever noticed that there must be demons that sit on the eyelids when you come to church and they just have a tendency to just push down on that eyelid and you're. You didn't think I, you think I'm just walking around there out there when I'm, when pastor's preaching, I'm watching all of y'all. Matter of fact, I'm going to start taking pictures and tweeting it out. I'll use technology for the glory of God. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Got 20 minutes. Now I'm lost. Oh, yeah. Thank God for paper. You're probably saying, why does he use computers? I don't trust those doggone things. They might go out on me and then I'll be like, The great philosopher in my house says, always have a hard copy. That's my wife. Listen, why do we wrestle with spiritual drowsiness when we should be awake? Now, when I don't have an answer, I go to God. I say, God, why am I so spiritual lethargic? Why am I so, why am I so bored? With you. Now some of you don't say it. But you're thinking it. Because I can read your mind. (laughs) Some of you are going. Listen. Three reasons. Why believers or followers or Christians. However you want to label yourselves. Struggle with spiritual being spiritual lethargic, lethargic or sleepiness is because sometimes we presume our presumption is on past spiritual achievements. Sometimes just because we knew him, just because we had a spiritual experience. Back in 1980, I felt the presence of God. 
What about today? Whoa! Today is different. The reason we get drowsy is because we are banking on the presumption of past spiritual achievements. I've been in this a long time and no one can tell me nothing. Nada. The second thing that I discovered is we try to follow Jesus within our own power and we become physically and emotionally exhausted. Unfortunate Christians try to serve, follow Jesus in their flesh. You hardly ever hear that word anymore. The flesh. Even sounds horrible. Flesh. (laughs) We don't like it. Flesh. Flesh. But let me tell you, sometimes we don't crucify that flesh. I've heard Christians that they only nail one hand and the feet and they leave the other one loose. In the flesh. (laughs) You know, I hope you go home not thinking I'm the most hilarious pastor. But you embrace the reality of what I am saying. The last thing that why we become spiritually lazy. Let's say what it is. Is because we have lost focus On the purpose God has given you. Because if the purpose that God has given you is present. You have passion. You have fire. You want. You want. You want the next day to come soon. The reason we lose that focus is because. We're too busy looking. At the wrong things in life. Jesus bores us. Coming to church bores us. Serving bores us. Giving bores us. Visiting the sick bores us. Visiting the nursing homes bores us. Visiting prisons bores us. It all bores us. Helping out in the ministries of the church bores us. Because we've lost focus. But I'm here to talk to those souls. Who are all overwhelmed with the changes that are occurring in your life. And you feel this restlessness. That you know that you know you're getting close. And you've been waiting and it's been weighing on you real a whole. I mean, it's been weighing on you for days and months. And for some of us, because I include myself. For some of us, it's been years and years of waiting. And and, and you find yourself sometimes just getting up and, 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 and speaking to God in that heavenly language, not only Spanish, but in, in a different tongue because you say, oh, it, it's getting close. It's getting, I'm speaking to that soul right now. I'm speaking to that soul that says there's something happening in me and I cannot explain it and I need to know why this is happening to me. Because that person is unsure about what's ahead. That person has encountered that the enemy has come and robbed him or her of their life's treasures. It's time to rediscover the purpose of his presence. The purpose of his presence is not just to get chill bumps or goosebumps. 
The purpose of his presence is not to say we had a wonderful service. You need to come over to our church because we have a wonderful presence of God. We even make it very religious. We need to discover the manifest presence in our lives. We need the manifest presence to manifest in our lives. It is that presence, that transforming presence in our life that is changing us every day. Fulfilling what he promised that he that had begun a good work in us will fulfill it. We need to rediscover the purpose of his presence. That's why in Mark we find, in Mark 14, 35, it says there's in 34 and 35, it says that Jesus threw himself to the ground in his most difficult, in his most crucial moment. He sought for the presence of the Father. He didn't kneel down. He didn't sit down. He threw himself down. And he agonized. Do you and I think we can face our greatest challenge without throwing ourselves to the ground? He threw himself. And on on the ground, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Oh, God. What you do, what he was doing, he was acknowledging the omnipotence and omnipresence of God. He was affirming to himself that whatever is going on in my life right now and whatever is going to happen in my life ahead in the future, you are still in control. You are still in control. Listen, I don't know what you are going through right now. I don't know what's coming down the tunnel or down the pike. But I do know that no matter what happens, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. I affirm your omnipresence. I affirm your omniscience. I affirm everything about you. There is nothing That is outside the realm. But you don't know. You say I've got diagnosed with cancer. You don't know. That nothing is outside the realm. Of God's control. Brother you don't know. That I've got the pink slip. You don't know. That nothing is outside. The, you don't know my son. You don't know this. You don't. I, I might not know. But I know one thing. Nothing. Is outside. The realm. Of God's. Control. <laughs> Hurriedly we conclude. Because I've got 10 minutes. I have identified. Notice Robert Martinez isn't here. Only Vasti. And the reason is Robert Martinez. Is the ministry of scissors. That means that when I preach long enough. He comes and ends it. He cuts it. That's the ministry of scissors. I've got 10 minutes. They're holding their place. I conclude by sharing with you three 
a three-part strategy in facing difficult changes in your life. They're all present in this particular chapter. We've made mention of all of them. Now we will only highlight the significance of each one of them. We need to be vigilant. Jesus said, watch. You and I need to be vigilant. Now I want to talk to you about just real quickly what he meant when he said watch. He didn't say watch for the end times. Some of us are so curious when Jesus is coming. Sometimes I wonder, is it because you want to live like the devil until the day he comes? I had people tell me, Pastor, I think Jesus is coming. I only have one thing to say to them. One thing, Jesus said it, or the angel said it. Jesus said it, excuse me. For the hour and the time no man knows. (laughs) Not even the son of man. So don't try to take it out of me, he told his disciples. Only the father knows when. So when he says watch, he's not talking about watching for the end time. Stop speculating. Stop buying those books that predict that he's coming in 2018. There was a book we sold in 1978, I believe, or something like that. It was a famous book. We sold so many of those books. It was unbelievable. I don't know how many reasons why Jesus will come in 1978. We're still here. (laughs) And whoever wrote it is rich, filthy rich. Watch does not mean, Jesus did not mean, go scouting for your enemy. There's some Christians that just are in the ministry for looking for devils. <laughs> Listen, you don't have to go looking for him. He's already. (laughs) How does he say, how does James says it? The lion, the devil, like a roaring lion. How does he say it? Is seeking. He's just around looking around for one little moment. You're not watching. That's what he's looking for. You're watching for him. And he's watching when you're not watching. Like my aunt and my uncle. Who were watching their. Daughter, when the boyfriend came over and my uncle says, don't worry, mama, I'm watching him. He eloped and got married, but he was watching him. (laughs) That's the way you are. I'm watching for the enemy. And all the time, He's watching you. (laughs) Listen, the next thing. While you toil away and you wait for the difficult changes to come, while you wait for the curtain to rise and show you the new things, eyes have not seen or ears have not heard. Of the things that God has prepared for you. You only have one responsibility. And that is. To pray. While you toil and you wait. You pray. And I wrote this down. And you need to write it down. And it's patent. Don't use it without my permission. I have copyrights on it. I will sue you. (laughs) I don't get too many like this. (laughs) So here it goes. 
Prayer is not a way to avoid difficulty. But it is a way to endure it. Prayer might not get rid of your situation, but it sure will make you stronger. It will strengthen your knees that are shaking. It will give you a heart of courage and faith to continue to stand and stand firm until God vindicates you. Until God shows up according to his promise and his will, you remain firm until he shows up. Five minutes. Come on. Ministry of Scissors. How important is prayer in your life? Have you ever asked asked that question? It's very important. Some of us talk about it. And I'm not here to offend anyone. Some of us just talk about it. And we talk about it. And then we talk about it some more. Yet we know the dangers of a prayerless life. And yet, we do nothing about it. Trials come. And trials go. But some way, somehow, they just do not bring us to our knees. Mark wants to make sure that he emphasizes the seriousness of a prayerless life when facing difficult, difficult changes in your life. He wants to make sure. He does something that you may have not noticed unless you're familiar with the rhetoric of literature. Rhetoric refers to the means that a writer uses strategically to be able to convey a message. One of those rhetoric strategic is allegory or allegorical. An allegorical strategy in literature is conveying a concealed message of a spiritual truth and significance. Nothing is in the Bible occupying space. Everything, including the periods, are important. And so in Mark chapter 14, after The narrative of the upper room. After the narrative of Peter's boast not to deny him. After the Gethsemane events of their sad performance not to pray. Demonic forces that were attacking, that would be attacking them. Or to shield them from Satan's blow. After he is arrested, there is an incident that occupies two verses in Mark chapter 14. I don't never let, I I never let nothing go by me when I'm reading the scriptures. Never. This incident is when Mark the writer says that a young man, unidentified young man appears in linen garments in a sheet. He does not tell us his name, but simply tells us that he shows up when Jesus is arrested and being taken away. Many scholars believe this is the way Mark identifies his reaction without divulging his identity. That he too, even though he was not present in Gethsemane, maybe, He heard and he might have run out. He was covered in a sheet and he followed 
Jesus. The emphasis is followed. You have to make sure that you grasp every word in an allegory. He followed Jesus. And all of a sudden, the angry crowd turned around and said, he's a follower of Jesus. And they tried to grab him. The only thing they grabbed was the sheet. And he ran, and the word of the Lord says, he ran naked. In his nakedness, he ran. And then the chapter concludes. You say, what was that all about? I was the same way. You'll have to come to Spanish and I'll tell you the rest of the story. Mark uses this rhetorical strategy to link what he has said about prayer. That is what he's doing. He is linking this event in a spiritual, with a spiritual significance and a spiritual meaning to prayer. And here it is. A prayerless life is a life that collapses under their own power and displays their spiritual nakedness. You know what the word of the Lord says? That it is like a two-edged sword. It cuts this way, and then it cuts this way. I've asked the Lord that I want to be the voice of God. Not to condemn, but to surgically heal and correct the ideology of a prosperous message that we have been hearing in this Western culture. Christianity is not just a way of life. It is life. And we need to fully understand that a prayerless life clearly defines a life that collapses under their own strength and exposes their spiritual nakedness. That's why you see men, you see Christians fall Because they were spiritually deficient. You and I cannot face what is ahead of us. And in no way am I discouraging you. The best years are ahead of us. Oh, I'm telling you, I know this. My best years, I'm telling everyone, I cannot wait to turn 65. I've only got five months and counting, please God. You say, you loco from the mind? No, because something is going to sh- come off and something new is going to come on. Listen, that's what God is going to do for you in 2000. Something is going to come off and something new is going to come on. That is the manifest transformational presence of God in our lives. And that is the only thing that will get us through the next year. And the year thereafter. And the year thereafter. I believe it with all my heart. There is no doubt in my life. I don't want you to leave with a negative impact. Because all we talked about is the weak, sad performance of his followers. But I'm here to tell you the good news. That failure in times of crisis is not permanent unless you make it. Would you stand? Have I failed? Oh, man, have I failed. Have I fallen short? Oh, my God, have I fallen short in my lifetime. But thank God 
failure is not permanent unless you make it you need to choose once and for all that you may fail but you are not a failure if I had the time I would explain to you that the whole thesis of the manifest presence of God is in the Last Supper. Because in Mark, he highlights that moment. And what really takes place in that moment is that Jesus says or establishes a sacrament as a reminder of the transference of his presence. He says, take this bread, for it is my body that will be broken for you. Take this blood, this wine, for it is symbolic of not the blood that I will shed for you. For as often as you do this, you will be reminded of our union. Here's the key. The disciples for three and a half years had physically seen his presence and he would no longer be with them. Communion signifies the invisible but physical but invisible <laughs> presence of God himself in you. That's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why he goes on to write, for all things work out to good for those that have been called and love God and are due according to his purpose. All that verses come and they just gel together. Because the Word has been made flesh in you. And nothing, nothing is impossible for God. Would you indulge me? Would you come to this altar? Would you allow me to pray with you? Because some of you do not have to wait for next year for changes to happen. They're already happening in your life. Some of you don't have to wait to 2018 to face your difficulty. Some of you are already facing them right now. You're wondering if 2018 is going to be different. I'm here to tell you it is. Because the best is ahead of you. It's on the other side of that situation. Listen, I know what I'm telling you. Because this is my story. This is my story. That after my best years are always ahead of me. They're there waiting for me. Mr. Cardright, can you agree with me? Some of you don't know this woman, like many of you, went through it. But she's still standing. Some of you here have gone through it and you're still standing. Listen, it's not going to be any different. We will be overcomers in Christ Jesus in 2018. We will be victorious in Christ Jesus. Our salvation will come to our house. Healing will come to our house. Deliverance will come to our house. Why? Because He has promised it. 
And he that promises is faithful to keep his promises. And so therefore we lift up our hands towards heaven. Let's lift up our hands. Lord, take us deeper. Take us deeper to a place where our feet will not be able to step on the bottom, on the floor of the ocean. Take us to a place where there will be no boundaries of trust, but just simple and complete trust in you.